Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the next installment of our energy transition talks. Uh, today I have a very exciting uh, combination of, uh, of guests today that we're going to share with you on a, a few things on the energy transition, where it's going to go. Uh, our, our guest today is Christian Ruby uh, from Euroelectric. And uh, Christian, do you want to just uh, give a few words about yourself? Sure. Thank you, Peter. So um, Euroelectric is uh, the trade association of the power industry in Europe. Uh, we represent uh, the entire value chain uh, from the production of electricity uh, over to the trade and, and the uh, retailing part, as well as the distribution grids. Um, and we represent that towards the policymakers in Brussels, where a lot of the uh, rules are made uh, that define the European market. Me, myself, I, uh, I come from uh, the political world originally, um, spent uh, seven years in public service in the ministries of Denmark and then in the European Commission. After that, I went to the uh, wind industry after a short stint as a uh, consultant, and, um, and that's where um, the industry found me for, uh, for this position that I'm currently in. That's great. Thank you very much. And also joining me, you may have heard uh, Tom speak on one of his other call uh, podcasts uh, with uh, we were discussing hydrogen. Uh, but uh, Tom Vandeleith, uh, please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me, Peter. So uh, my name is Tom. I've been uh, working for CGI for close to a decade already. Last um, main focused on energy and utilities. Have a strong background in uh, metering data systems and DMs, uh, anything evolving around. Um, how we settle the end customer bill uh, with uh, delivering different energy platforms. Very much involved with my own team in uh, shaping how the IT infrastructure should look, such as commodities like heat, um, but also hydrogen, uh, battery storage. And in that length, there is also a trading issue to solve. Um, so looking forward to having the conversation. Thanks very much, Tom. So let me kick it off with sort of an opening question here. And this is sort of a broad question. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll go to you first, uh, Christian, on it here is the energy transition is in full motion. I think we fully agree with that. Electrification is is everywhere. Uh, I mean, I've got a Tesla. I've got a zero motorcycle. I'm, I'm part of that transition. Uh, I'm eyeballing a home battery to see where that goes. Renewable energy is uh, is everywhere. And really, we're looking to see really where things are going to foray. Where do you see... Uh, people playing as active members of the new energy market, uh, including even things like hydrogen, just sort of what's your viewpoint on the new energy market? Yeah, that's a big one. Well, mm -hmm. maybe to start with the helicopter perspective here, um, we've seen the transition in the utility world unfold, I would say over uh, at least a decade at full speed. And, and before that, we already had a, a few um, a few companies that, that were taking an early start. Um, what we see now, I think, as perhaps the most um, prevalent trend is that companies are taking a very different approach. Individual companies are taking different approaches to the energy transition. Some are focusing on offshore wind and hydrogen production, transmission, Others are going downstream, focusing on e-mobility, charging infrastructure, uh, onshore renewables, distribution grids. So, so there's really a diversity of strategies. Some are getting out of generation altogether, focusing on distribution and customers. So 
where you'd have in, in a distant past now, um, uh, you know, a utility defined by a power plant, some transmission lines, the distribution lines out, and then to the customers, um, you, you really have a, a wide variety of, of, of ways that companies position themselves uh, within uh, the sector. Anything to add there, Tom? Well, yeah, I think on uh, on many of these commodities, where we're, we're, some of where we're at the start, other ones we're progressing a bit more. Um, I think in uh, the complexity kind of increases by all the new stuff that we're doing. Um, maybe to add a bit to your first question, Peter, right? And I'm very interested, to, uh, Christian, how, what's your view on that? Because um, especially on electricity, we have a very complex system. It always needs to be in balance. We always have to look at grid capacity. Where do we use it? When do we use it? And that's a balancing act. Well, all of a sudden we're introducing um, mediums for storage, such as batteries, uh, decentralized productions, whether it be through wind or solar, that are very unpredictable in nature, um, that provide some challenges not only for grid operators, but also for us and consumers on what's the best kind of way to treat all these new uh, new options. Um, what's your, yeah. your view on some of those trends on that? Yeah. So um, my view on, on on all those trends, well, well, first off, I, I would want to sort of establish that, that the mega trend that we're seeing in the energy system, despite all the noise, is a massive decentralization. Yes, there's hydrogen. Yes, there's offshore wind. Yes, there will be power plants in the future. But when we see where we come from and where we're going, it's all about a massive decentralization. Yeah. Um, one example, um, Eon is celebrating these days their feed-in in their grid, num grid number 1 million. 1 million feed-in points in one uh, grid. It is absolutely amazing. If you look back 20 years, um, you'd maybe have had a few hundreds in such a grid. So, so we are really talking about a gigantic change here. So... That poses a whole range of challenges, as you said, but it also uh, provides us with a lot of opportunity. I think that's really important. Opportunity for the customer to do things their way. Opportunity also for society, ultimately, to have a more secure energy supply. And energy security is really rising to the top of our agenda because of all the changes around us, all the geopolitical shifts we're living through these days. And um, one significant part of, of, uh, of this decentralization and, and the upside of it is that uh, whereas it does pose challenges, ultimately it will provide us with a system where the individual customer has a chance to weigh in on his own security supply. And that's a really interesting perspective. Uh, I totally agree with you on that. And it's interesting. It's been a sort of a viewpoint of ours is that energy will no longer in the future, if you go, you know, a little bit further ahead, produce somewhere and shipped somewhere. It will be made and consumed locally. And a lot of the existing infrastructure will be used to balance between zones. Um, and this is a tough concept when you talk to other industries because people aren't staying in their same swim lanes, as you mentioned before, too. You know, people are, are moving around and uh, they're used to a predictable thing a way of things. I buy oil from these guys, they send it to me and therefore it moves forward. Even in the transportation industry, we're talking to people in the rail industry is that they have this viewpoint, I have to buy hydrogen therefore from somebody, but really they could make their own or they could maybe have hydrogen as a service from someone. 
the rules are different. It could be made on-prem, it could be trucked in still, but or piped in, but the world's changing. And that really comes around DERMS. You talked about the connection points at Eon. How do you see the view of DERMS and people participating more in the energy, not just for my home or my business, but as a part of the community? Well, that's that's uh, definitely part of this decentralization trend. When we look at uh, the additions of solar to the grid last year, we saw a lot, and I'm talking millions and millions of customers investing in their own home systems, um, probably at least in part as a direct consequence of uh, the uncertainty they saw around them and, and the notion of, well, I want to retain just a little bit of control uh, on my own supply in case things, uh, you know, go awry around me. Um, if we look at uh, this development from a systems perspective, um, it, it spells a number of pretty fundamental changes for, um, for the utility as, as we know it today. First off, um, and this is something we've been dealing with for several years, we need to learn from uh, the tech business, for instance, to become really obsessed with our customer. Uh, back in the day, you know, um, we would see uh, the customer as a load profile. We, we're used to this pattern. That's what, what it does at this time of day. Probably they're switching on something at home. We don't really know, but this is the load profile, full stop. Today, uh, in order for us to make money and stay competitive, we need to be obsessed about what our customers want, how we can serve them, and also how we can help them optimize in an increasingly complex system. Um, this is, in essence, great news for a utility. We have a whole range of new services we can supply them. We can supply them on-site systems. We can supply them with support for um, optimizing their local system. We can supply them with energy services for the car, which wasn't the case in, in, the, in the past, and so on and so forth. Um, but the, the first thing that's really important is that we need that customer obsession uh, as part of the new paradigm. The second thing I would say is that we, we need to acknowledge that our operations will change quite fundamentally. And it even comes down to the very uh, basics of security supply, like the 50 hertz uh, and the N minus one. Um, today, even, you, you tend to look at uh, the issue of reliability at transmission level. Are we in sync? Are things happening at the right uh, uh, pace and at the right rhythm at transmission level? If so, then we're good. The truth is, no, we're not. Because so much dynamics has already changed to the uh, low-voltage grids. Uh, so, so today, they need to have a whole different uh, level of reliability and optimization. So we need to change our notion of security supply in a certain way. The concrete methodologies that guide our security supply um, calculations and the operations that go along with it. And then the third thing is we need to look for new ways of making money uh, in this uh, new system. And just if we look at, you know, the 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 massive rollout of DERMs, and when we take that to the extreme, uh, maybe adding some 600 uh, gigawatts of renewables to the European grid, which has maybe a total of 1,000 uh, gigawatts today, 
Um, well, well, that means we need to see for different types of business models, like um, demand side response, um, introduction of uh, local flexibility sources uh, as new ways of doing things in order for us to stay competitive and, and provide reliability and good service. I find very interesting some of the things you point out here. So um, back when I started working for a few DSOs, we refer to a connection point rather than a consumer, right? And the connection point now no longer holds valid because all of a sudden it's mobile and it's called an electric car. So this consumer obsession rather than an endpoint obsession, I really much relate to that. Um, I do think there are some fundamental changes that we have to make to make it appealing for 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 um the key and the solution to the problem, the end customer, to participate, right? So I think in some of these countries, we work with fixed profiles uh, or instead of dynamic tariffs. We work with high taxed energy, where 60, 70% of your kilowatt hour price is consumed by taxes or other kind of um, uh, cost associated to it and not really the commercial part where you can actually get a discount on. Um, and I think that's something for at least government and also for DSOs to to to, to think about on where does the uh, customer obsession lies and how do I seduce my customer to participate in new business models that I would like to develop. Um, I'm always being very interested about this concept of aggregators on uh, uh, leveraging flexibility. So assuming that you would say that the energy transition involves around three things, reliability, affordability, and predictability. And those three things are a balancing act. And all of a sudden, it's not the energy that has to value. It's flexibility that has to value. And that's very much where this new business model uh, lie. Um, at the same time, leading a bit up to uh, uh, the next question, um, it's kind of important to keep it equal and fair, right? And, and we don't all have this equality. Like, I have solar panels because I have a roof suitable for those solar panels. I have an electric car because I'm able to afford an electric car. Uh, but also on a, like, a bit more um, macro level, um, one party shouldn't create its own demand by or selling at favorable times by switching from one commodity to the next. So with this whole idea of upcoming energy storage facilities and large-scale batteries or even hydrogen storage, we could leverage one commodity versus the next. How do you see that? And do you think on a European level we're doing enough to keep this a fair playing equal game. It's very interesting that you bring up the, the word fairness. Um, it, it was actually uh, one of the three top priorities uh, set by our new presidency team when they came in, in in June this year. They said security supply, grids, and fairness. Um, so, so indeed, I think with with everything that's been happening in the in the recent years and and especially perhaps in the last year the issue of fairness has really uh risen to the top of the agenda again uh and why is that well as you say there's something about the the uh, ability of the individual to participate one way or the other in the energy transition and, and a whole range of fairness questions rise uh exactly from that um there's also a um, national dimension to this. The policies that we do at EU level need to suit 27 very different contexts uh, with different types of resources, different types of starting points, different type of energy systems. And the fairness equation amongst that is, is, is really important. And 
A last dimension uh, to mention here is, uh, if you will, a sectorial fairness. We experienced in the past year a, a quite paradoxical situation where um, the war in Ukraine triggered a, a massive roller coaster of price increases and so on and so forth. And um, what policymakers did was was quite were, was quite interesting. Uh, on the one hand, they said, "Okay, we need to get out of those fossil fuels uh, and get into clean electricity." What they did from an intervention point of view, however, was to double down massively of all kinds of interventions in the power sector while leaving the oil and gas and companies that were really raking it in from this uh, from, from from these disruptions. Um, so, so there was a fairness aspect to that, and and we also saw a very important fairness discussion uh, in the context of of uh, electricity prices. Um, I think it, it's very natural for a politician, if you see skyrocketing prices all of a sudden, to say, "Okay, wait a second, we need to do something." Um, however, what they ended up doing in many cases was really counterproductive, um, because as it were. One of the good things of a very high price is that it provides you signal, better save this stuff, better not buy too much of this because it's expensive. What we got on the other hand with those policy interventions was um, essentially, at least in some cases, um, policymakers bailing out um, individual customers, uh, incentivizing them to use more. And and also making very let's say uh, counterproductive arrangements, uh, which we're still grappling with. For instance, there's this idea that we um, we should ban the disconnection of vulnerable customers um, if a difficult situation comes up. That sounds seducing at first, uh, you know, at, at first, but. Once you start looking into it, what that means is, well, you're banning the disconnection, thereby incentivizing vulnerable customers to use more. And at the same time, you're piling in a mountain of debt on top of them. So they come out of this crisis with very bad habits and a huge debt. And, you know, this is the kind of situation where we need to get the right notion of fairness to guide our decisions. Yeah, thank you for that. It, it leads into my next question, which uh, I will pick up in our next part. Uh, we'll we'll pause today. Thank you very much for today's uh, session. Uh, we'll break now, and we will uh, see you again in the next part. 